Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back to 95.7 The Game. Yeah, the sports world, especially the basketball world, mourning the loss of a, an absolute legend today. It's Kevin Michael, Whitey Gleason, Evan Giddings with you on 95.7 The Game. And this morning we got word that the great Bill Russell, cornerstone of the Celtics dynasty, USF legend, passed away at the age of 88. One of the greatest players uh, not only in the history of basketball, but in the history of team sports. And nice enough to join us with more on Bill Russell's uh, incredible life, a gentleman who worked with Russ for, for many years and also watched him uh, as a player for many years. A uh, friend of mine, former Sacramento Kings head coach and general manager and longtime NBA broadcaster, Jerry Reynolds with us. Jerry, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sorry it has to be under these uh, circumstances, but... For those who didn't know Russ or didn't see him, can you start, please, by telling us just what made Bill Russell such a such a unique and great basketball player? You know, that's uh, of course the ultimate question. I, I think he was, uh, you know, just such a driven person, very competitive. You know, you, you know, we're used to hearing that in, you know, uh, uh, in regards to a Kobe or a Larry Bird, or LeBron, or Michael Jordan. Well, certainly Bill. Bill was exactly the same as far, I mean, his drive, and and uh, it, it was just unusual. Uh, I always remember he made a statement. He said, you know, he said, I think the great players are, are like thoroughbred horses. He uh, said anybody can ride a regular horse, but uh, it takes a special jockey right mm. thoroughbred because they're they're flighty and they're 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 harder to control and 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 he said as athletes he said as a basketball player he said I, that's the way I was and said you know probably Red Auerbach might have been the only guy that could have coached me uh, but uh, yeah just a obviously a special winner when you can win two championships in college at University of San Francisco which really hadn't won too much since yeah. uh, and then all those with the Celtics obviously great teammates but uh, you know just just uh, you know basically it was all about winning with Bill uh, statistics and all that uh, never meant anything to him Jerry as as a millennial myself you know I've read all about Bill Russell's accomplishments but the biggest one that I've seen in my lifetime was him receiving the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2011 I'm curious, as someone who who knew him personally, obviously saw him. How has his his image changed or kind of evolved throughout the years? And um, how, how have you seen him grow from? I guess continue to grow from the great player he was to the great man that he is now seen as uh, by people my age. You know, uh, that's here again. I, I think to me, uh, he was always a great man, you know, I think. And I think as years went on, people generally started to realize, I don't think Bill changed much. I think society and people, are, you know, people changed more. Uh, I, I kind of equated a little bit to Muhammad Ali, how he was viewed as a younger man, but as he aged, people realized what a, what is a truly special and unique person that he was and you know and he was always true to his values and who he was and bill was exactly the same he was a uh a very uh his integrity and uh was without question in my book my book and and just a man's man and uh you know uh certainly lived his life that way you know didn't uh you know didn't didn't bend uh 
to to please anyone other than what he felt was right. Uh, you know, just a hard, very difficult to be around a Bill Russell and not and not uh, you know be you know be uh, just admire him at, at a, such a high level because he just he deserved it, merited special in every way. Jerry Reynolds, nice enough to join us. Uh, Jerry, former Kings coach and general manager and a longtime NBA broadcaster, and he worked for years with Bill Russell. Jerry, could you tell us about you know the circumstances under which you worked with Russ? And I'm curious, as you got to know him, was there anything you learned about him that maybe you hadn't known just by watching him as a player? Well, there's several kind of interesting times. I, when I first uh, uh started working with Bill, I was uh, his second assistant. Willis Reed was the top assistant. I was the second. In those days, uh, two's about the most anybody had. <laughs> and, and, I, and I can't say that we started off, you know, we weren't close because I didn't really know him when he was hired and he didn't know me. Uh, he agreed to take me on. And uh, I think it was uh, probably, uh, I was with him about a month before he probably said more than two words to me. And I always, I always remember <laughs> about a month in, he came down and I was working with some guys, individual work and all, and he pulled me aside and he said, he said, you know what? He said, you know, I think you're a really good coach. I like you a lot as a person too. And I, I said, well, boy, <laughs> I, I'm pretty happy to hear you say that. I, I wasn't sure how this was going to go. And, and you know, from that point on, I, I mean, honestly, we just had a great relationship. I know he'd come in my office and visit, or I'd come into his and just talk basketball, talk. And, of course, I love to ask questions about his uh, Celtic days and his career. And, and, you know, he's so honest and, and, and what he had to say about, you know, his teammates and other players and and, and, then, and the game at the time, you know, uh, what was going on in the game at the time. So, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, you know, it was just, really a marvelous time for me because I, I certainly was well aware of uh, his great career as a player. And then also I enjoyed him, you know, and got to know like a lot of uh, older people, him on TV, you know, he did mm -hmm. a, a color analyst. Uh, he and I think Rick Barry for a number of years and, and did quite a few commercials and uh, thought it was very delightful in that role as well. The Finals MVP trophy is is named after Bill Russell. He is synonymous with championships. He's synonymous with winning. But one thing that, that I always appreciated is that he would always, at least prior to the pandemic, would be in person to present his trophy to the player that won it for the championship team. How important do you think it is for players you know, throughout eras to be able to connect with a living legend like that? And how do you think help, that helps grow the game that guys you know that didn't see bill play that weren't alive when he played get to have some sort of had you know some sort of connection to the history of basketball that bill russell is so important to well i think it's very important and i think that you know we don't want to lose you know as an older person now too i i think that that happens and i think it's a credit to the nba leadership to to name uh, this award after bill much like the east coast and west coast awards for magic and bird i think we're a great move in that regard but but i mean you know we we just uh too many sports probably don't don't uh, keep in touch with their history very well and and certainly Bill represents the greatest winner of the sport and young players need to understand that uh you know what his value was to the league as it grew, and what it what it has meant to them. You know, I don't think they, quite honestly, I don't think many do totally appreciate uh, what's come before and the sacrifices that, that were made for them. But it, you know, it's a uh, you know that's kind of normal, I think. As, as, as you know, I remember being a young person and not really respecting my elders as much as I should have. Uh, but uh, but it's a step in the right direction for sure, and and uh, you know I mean to to make sure that a player with the career that Bill's had is never forgotten. That's for sure. Yeah, we've lost Bill Russell, legendary Bill Russell, at the age of eighty eight, and uh, giving us some perspective on that today as the basketball world mourns uh, Jerry Reynolds, former Kings coach and GM, longtime NBA announcer. 
Uh, Jerry, can you give us a sense of what Bill Russell was as a defensive player? Has there ever been anyone? I know the game is a lot different. Anyone since that you would compare to him? Give us a sense of how uh, transformational, if you would, Bill Russell was as, as a defensive player. Because I'm not sure the numbers as good as they are. I don't know that they do justice to the way he transformed some of the ways people play defense. Well, that's, you know, I don't know. It'd be hard to, uh, you know, for for me to compare him with anybody much. I, I always thought just, I know I'm talking to Bill and getting to know how he viewed his defensive prowess. Uh, he'd always tell me, he said, you know, he a couple little things that always struck me. He said he, he'd always like to, uh, uh, early on when he's going against a, a center or, 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 or to, in order to protect the basket, is try to block a, block a early shot at, and let him know that he could get it. Hmm. And and then, uh, you know, basically he wouldn't really concern himself with it uh, as much until uh, key parts of the game because he just wanted to make sure he they knew he could get it and he knew he could get it. Wow. <laughs> and and then he would, uh, you know, if it, was, if a block, it was time for a block to save the game or to keep the Celtics under control, then he'd block it. He said, I could always felt like I need to establish I could block it any time and I wanted my opponent to know that I could block it at any time. And then, of course, he'd always say, "Always, it's always the main thing—not just block it, but keep it in play and control." And so, uh, and I, you know, and I think he basically did that. Tommy Heinsohn famously said that Bill Russell kind of had a, a neurotic need to win, and as you know, as as respectable as a human as he is, and and was, I'm curious if there was any stories that. That you had from your time with him, that that kind of, you know, pointed to how much of a competitor he truly was. Because as as much as he won, it also sounded like that was a part of his identity that he needed to win. He was a winner, and defined him in a lot of ways. Well, I I do think that that uh, really does define, uh, you know, Bill. I mean, remember we were talking about he always he said there was never a a game that he played that he didn't get nervous in the stomach to where he would usually uh, uh, kind of uh, vomit to some degree wow. for every game. He said it, just, it was just something, he said, I think in his feeling went back to where he was really a, a very late developer and nobody really, so he always felt he had to prove himself the you know, the the prove himself on the game-to-game basis. I think we've kind of come to see that, you know, with in later years with, you know, with Bird and then with Jordan and then Kobe, guys that, you know, you you would you understood that, yeah, they, there's, there's these few people that are so driven to win and they have a need to win that, that they're unique. I mean, every player wants to win, but there's there's a small group that has a, the what's called you know the absolute need to win and then can't uh, can't function otherwise and uh, you know the I, I think Bill once told me he said you know said uh, he said people like me he said you know God don't make very many like us he said uh, they might he might only make about four or five a year <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, I I thought it was uh, unusual at the time he said it more out of the years years went on I said yep I think that's right I think the creator just said nah four or five is enough Jerry thanks so much appreciate it I will uh, talk to you soon I'll be in touch and uh, Jerry and I do a, a podcast an old fashioned three a basketball podcast so uh, I'll see you this week Jerry thank you really appreciate our condolences really appreciate coming through I know this isn't an easy day for you no great man great man and uh, just just treated me wonderful and uh, you know really one for several generations no question thank you sir yeah talk to you soon Uh, Jerry Reynolds former Kings coach general manager worked with Bill Russell um, for many years in Sacramento Bill Russell was Kings coach and then a general manager and I'll tell you what, Ev, you know, and this isn't about Sacramento Kings, but a guy like Bill Russell, as much as he won, as much as he needed to win, it wasn't easy for him to go uh, to Sacramento and then all of a sudden be on a team. It's like, these guys ain't winning nothing. No, but he he still broke the barrier, becoming the first African-American head coach in the NBA. And yeah. 
And that's something that no matter how much success or, or non-success that he had with that team, that's, that is something that is more important than the wins and losses. And, and that's, that's kind of where I'm at with Russell. I, I know he, I, I, I know the resume. I know what he accomplished. I know what he won, the MVPs, the all NBAs, the champion, but he's one of the few guys. And, and Jerry kind of mentioned the name, a guy like Muhammad Ali, where mm-hmm. the things that he did away from the court and the man that he was inside and out of the game somehow kind of trumps all of the great things, all of the winning that he did, because that's how amazing a person he was. And even though the creator might have made four or five a year, I would I would guess that number is probably a lot smaller as it pertains to someone like Bill Russell. I think the legacy, the Bill Russell legacy, the thing I appreciate about it so much, and I don't remember him playing, but um, the fact that he was a winner beyond the stats, right? The stats were, did we win or not? Um, five-time MVP, 12-time All-Star, but he was he was a tremendous rebounder and defender, the things that helped you win. And he was a good scorer as well, but he wasn't known as that because he did the things that helped his team win. And so uh, Bill Russell, we, we uh, will never forget Bill Russell. He's left us today at the age of 88. But that brings us, Ev, to the, to the Warriors, because I think in some ways you can see that the Warriors winning these four championships, in some ways as an organization, they've reflected some of those same values. And they've got a guy like Steph Curry who is more about that. We know Steph's a great shooter and he cares about his numbers, of course. Uh, but he will do what needs to be done to win. And I think Draymond, in some ways, has been Bill Russell-like. And I'm not saying any one of these guys has been like Bill Russell, but doing what needs to be done to win. So it's interesting to see Bill Russell's legacy continue that way. To do what the Warriors have done, to do what the Spurs did, you need guys like that, like Tim Duncan. Like, all right, I'm the guy, but what do we need to do? And the fact that the Warriors have won four championships has a lot to do with the fact that, as you said earlier, you got Steph Curry, who ultimately is going to do what needs to be done for the team benefit yeah and that's a quality that is obviously difficult to to define but you know it when you see it right i'm sure when people watched russell you saw the winning plays happen whether it's you know an outlet pass up ahead him running the court the way that no big man ever had before the way he played defense the way he passed the way he sort of understood where he needed to be at a certain time those are all qualities that you know maybe Stephen Curry doesn't have all of them, but he's got some of them. Draymond Green doesn't have all of them, but he's got some of them. Same with Klay Thompson. And those intangibles are absolutely important to winning championships, especially when you're going up against the second best team in the league. In this case, this year was the Boston Celtics. The talent in a lot of these series is about even. I know we didn't see that when Kevin Durant came to Golden State, but generally, when you get to that level, when you get to the final two and you're going head-to-head, each team has talent, and it's about those small details, those those winning plays that we have seen Stephen Curry and the Golden State Warriors make countless times that end up being the difference. Whether a, whether a series goes seven games, whether it goes five or four, that's the difference, and that is what Bill Russell, as you so aptly put, had more than anything else the ability to make those plays when you needed them. We have a statement now from NBA Commissioner Adam Silver on the passing of Bill Russell. He called Bill Russell, quote, the greatest champion in all of team sports. The greatest champion in all of team sports. That's uh, Adam Silver, NBA Commissioner on Bill Russell, who, again, um, we lost today at the age of 88. Speaking of the Warriors and going forward, I know this is something that was kicked around a little bit this week, Ev. There's a free agent who could be available to the Warriors, depending on what Iguodala wants to do and what they want to do with uh, their final roster spots. And this was really just somebody, an anonymous coach, I think, told somebody that, hey, you know what? Carmelo Anthony to the Warriors. That could make some sense. What do you think of that notion? It doesn't look like the Warriors have it. There's no reason to think they have interest, but we haven't heard anything. What do you think of the idea of Carmelo Anthony, Golden State Warriors? I was surprised at the amount of pushback that we got from this on Friday because to me that's it's a low risk high reward type signing if if you do end up making it because Carmelo Anthony maybe 4 or 5 years ago I would have I would have said kick rocks because he was still hanging on to that you know that that starting title or that that role that he wanted to see himself as but he's I mean he's been able to kind of assimilate into 
sort of a bench spot. Last year, played 69 game with the Lakers. Each of the last three seasons, I believe he's shot 37 or above percent from three-point range. You know, he's demonstrated he can be kind of a, a knockdown spot-up shooter from time to time. And you wouldn't be asking him to play 25 minutes. You'd be asking him probably to take Bielitsa's role. I know people have discussed the fact he's not a great defender. Well, I, I didn't really look at Nemanja Bielitsa as Gary Payton II. So, Bingo. I, all you really need him to do is to come off the bench and hit some shots. And I think that he would also be a nice addition to the locker room and could bring a lot of the intangibles that we've kind of discussed, not necessarily in, as far as you know winning plays, but some off-the-court leadership ability uh, that might be missing should Andre Iguodala not return to Golden State. I think what Carmelo's done, and you you touched on this, that to me is really impressive is the way he's recognized. He was pretty much, he was out of the league because he was uh, insisting on being the starter, being the man, uh, being the player he's always been. And he had to recognize if I want to keep playing, I have to be a guy coming off the bench and I have to learn how to thrive in that role. And to his credit, he did that. You mentioned his three-point numbers have been up. A wing player coming off the bench in the NBA, you better be able to make a three, especially if you can't guard people very well. He's done that to his credit. He's transformed his career. He's made the adjustment that, in my opinion, in some ways, Russell Westbrook to this point has shown no interest in making. And it's not easy to recognize I'm not the player I once was. I think Russ struggled with that. Carmelo, to his credit, realized, all right, I'm going to have to do that. That said, the fact that he doesn't defend very well, I think that's one reason why the Warriors probably wouldn't be interested. But I think a bigger reason is the fact that they are so committed to their younger players. I think they're, they're, they're just the Warriors are expecting so much and they have so much invested in Kuminga and Moody um, and, of course, Poole, but it's a different position and, 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 uh, and Wiseman. But I think they're expecting, and we'll see what they do with the final roster spot. I think they expect Kuminga and Moody to fill the role that that a guy like Carmelo would probably fill here. Yeah, and, and that's also why I wouldn't necessarily have an issue with him being on the roster. Because if you're Kuminga or Moody, and if you can't beat out Carmelo Anthony, you you got bigger issues. So if he's on the team, it's, I don't see him as a, a player that potentially takes away minutes from the young guys. I don't look at a guy like Jermichael Green like that either. Dante DiVincenzo is a little bit Sounds different. Sounds like Carmelo Anthony is your favorite player all of a sudden. <laughs> My goodness. Evan Giddings, do you have a, a Carmelo jersey on underneath or something? No, wow. but I might have a Denver Nuggets Carmelo jersey stashed somewhere at, really? at the house. Yeah. He, wow. He was, he was one of my favorite players way back when. I didn't realize that. Okay. So I was kidding, but I actually was half right. Well, I quarter right. Yeah, I, I was I was anything anti Lakers. And so if if you were a team that could, you know, compete and potentially knock off LA at about the time I was starting to fall in love with the game of basketball, then then you were one of my favorite players. And Carmelo, along with uh you know, a slew of other individuals, Amari Stoudemire, I'm thinking of Steve Nash, uh, who else had a chance to almost run our test, Yao Ming, all these guys that kind of pushed the Lakers but never beat them. Uh, at least towards the the tail end of Kobe's championship run, that yeah, I, li I like Dwight Howard for a series because he had a chance to beat the Lakers. So Carmelo was he was he he was a fun player to watch, and I think he could be a he could he also could be a guy. That's a part of it too. Is a lot of these players on the Warriors grew up watching Carmelo Anthony, and to be in a locker room not with with a legend the way that Stephen Curry or Draymond or Clay Thompson is. But if you're telling me that Patrick Baldwin Jr. is walking into the Golden State Warriors locker room and sees Carmelo Anthony gets a chance to pick his brain about how to be a professional, how to obviously play the game of basketball at a high level, but all the other things that contribute to being a pro in the NBA, to me, that, that has some value there. How about that draft, that 2000, 2003 draft? Pardon me. And I know this is hardly breaking news, but it just I just love to look at this. LeBron goes one. Uh, Carmelo goes three, Bosch goes four, Dwayne Wade goes five. And with the second pick, the Detroit Pistons take Darko Milicic. Darko in second in that draft between LeBron and Carmelo. They left Bosch and Wade on the board. You never know. It's an inexact science. Can you believe wow. that Darko Milicic was, was in the NBA for 10 years? I, that surprised me. I looked that up. I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah, played as many years as Mikel Petras. Yeah, shout out to him. Value over replacement players: LeBron one forty two point six, Carmelo thirty six point seven, Bosh thirty one point one, Wade sixty two point eight, Poor Darko minus zero point nine. 
All right, coming up in defense of Draymond Green, as we remember also the great Bill Russell today on the day of his passing, it's Whitey Gleason, Evan Giddings on 95.7 The Game. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now back to 95.7 The Game. I know I mentioned Draymond, and we'll get to Draymond, but we have, well, it's not really breaking news. Uh, we have some uh, some uh, trade rumor news to pass along. So, uh, Whitey Gleason, Evan Giddings on 95.7 of The Game. Sadly, this has been an eventful day in sports because, uh, as we mentioned, those who don't know, um, Bill Russell, we lost Bill Russell today, Bay Area legend, NBA legend at the age of 88. That is actually the breaking news today but we have uh, brian I I iglesias our uh, producer says that we have word on a potential giants deal evan giddings involving a shortstop but let's let's not confuse things at the deadline here the giants and other teams may be making some big moves but the giants do have a short-term need right now given what happened to tyro estrada last night so it looks like this would address that so what do we have on the Giants, who they're talking with and who they're talking about? It is one Dixon Machado of okay. the, not Chicago Cubs, but the Iowa Cubs. Okay. Triple, triple A Chicago. That is that is the name floated uh, by John Morosi, MLB Network. And I, it's pretty much a situation now, right? Because so Tyra Strata goes down yesterday, gets hit in the head. Hope he's all well and good. But for now, they, they need someone to play shortstop. Yes. And Tyra Strata not only plays shortstop, but he also plays second. He plays all around the diamond. He is the ultimate utility man for them. And so while they wish that this was a different Machado, I think that the Dixon Machado potential trade at this point is just a situation where it's, all right, if you got a resume and you can play shortstop, mm -hmm. right now you can play for the San Francisco Giants. Yeah, when Brian Iglesia mentioned that, Dixon Machado, I thought, I hadn't he been around forever? What Didn't he used to be the Tigers or something? But yeah, what would you say? He's 30 years he's old? 30 years yeah, old. Okay. So I, he's not going to, yeah, he's not a, a budding piece, 30 years old. He's not a prospect that the Giants are grooming to be one of the stars of the future. No, he does have a 796 OPS and at the AAA level. No, it's it's... That is the state of the San Francisco Giants at this point. And, and it's weird, too, because these are the type of moves that maybe I, no one expects, but they're, these are the type of moves more likely to happen than the big splash, you know, Juan Soto trade. But people are, al are almost going to be, I think, more incensed by a minor move like this because it's, it's more of an indication that Farhan is not going to go out right. and get a big boy. Right. But this, as you said, this is this simply would be like we need someone to play short. Has nothing to do with the deadline or Soto or the big pictures. Like, we need a shortstop. Last night, Vossler played short. I was going to say, you, you got a glove in the trunk, right, Whitey? Not anymore. Not I don't anymore? think it's in there. I, yeah. I still got mine <laughs> around the house somewhere. Hey, you know what? Are you rolling? I'll show up at 3rd and King later on today and see if I could get some innings. You strike me as a Mizuno guy. 
I used to be. I really like Mizuno. I love Mizuno because uh, Miguel Tejada used to have a Mizuno glove of the Oakland Athletics. Also, really liked Ichiro, who's Mizuno. Uh, but I personally, I went from an A750, so Wilson glove, and I, I would I would kind of shop uh, the sales rack, Big Five, get an A750 until I finally got to upgrade my senior year of college to a black Nike mint, and that was Whoa. really cool. Whoa. I've always been a Rawlings guy, right? I consider myself a Rawlings guy. Well, you're a gold glover. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, on the text line here, I don't know that this is entirely fair, but I know where you're coming from. Comcast Business Text Line, of course, 888-957-9570. Uh, from the 650, Dixon Machado is the most foreign move ever. First of all, I don't think they've made it yet. And second of all, it's a little different because you got to have somebody to play shortstop. Yeah, no, this it, it's it's really just poor timing is what it is because it's around the trade deadline. They would have made this move if it was in April or if it was, you know, in June and the team was playing great. They still would have made this move because you, you need some you need a ninth man. You need to fill out the field somehow. You would think that you had some somebody at triple A that you can that's why you have triple A. Got they, some developing news. Apparently Dixon Machado isn't in the starting lineup today for the Iowa Cubs. Whoa. Whoa. Farhan's wheeling and dealing. The Dixon Machado. It's the Dixon Mayfair coming. That's my new nickname for him. Coming to San Francisco. So we'll see about that. But my point is, and I'm not that familiar with the AAA roster. Maybe we can ask our friend, the great Johnny Dosco, about that. Normally, you have somebody at AAA that you, hey, we need a shortstop. Come on up, right? Well, they did, but they, they traded Mauricio Dubon for, uh, for yeah. Austin. Or, yeah. So they, they got rid of their... 4A guy, they're kind of their floater between the bigs and and AAA, and maybe maybe their shortstop is hitting you know 200. He's got a 600 OPS in AAA. You can't bring him up, so mm-hmm. you go out and get a a nice season. Well, well, he's not a prospect, but he used to be you know a, a seasoned veteran in Dixon Machado. Yeah, it is not easy to just play shortstop at the major league level. There's a lot of guys that just can't do it, and he's a guy at the very least he can play the position. That would have been last year. Donnie Barrels would have moved over there, right? Probably. Yeah. I mean, they would have been able to put a, a slew of guys over at shortstop because they had so many options. It, it, that, and that's why it, it's it's funny, but it's not. But the Giants have for for as much you know as much as they use platoons. It seems like Cape Capital really doesn't have a backup to any of his players at this point, whether it be due to injuries or you know players not performing. It's just. It's it's all bad with the Giants. Well, it's not though. Well, is, I mean, it's not know, all. Right. It's not all bad. They win today. It just seems like it is tonight. Beat the Cubs, and you're back to five hundred. Then you got the deadline, and we'll see. By the way, your uh, gut feeling, Evan, if you have one, where is Soto going to go if he goes anywhere at all? The San Diego Padres. And I'm talking about not Dixon Soto, but Juan Soto. Gregory. Oh, uh, no, Juan Soto. Yes, I. I think. I think the Padres are the team that would be able to get him because they have the farm system to do it. And in recent years, they've also, I I think they've been the most aggressive as far as the trade market and free agent signing is concerned, trying to, you know, go out and perhaps move players to their own detriment at times, but they definitely have yeah. been. Yeah. No, not every, not every deal has worked out. And I, I think that's, that's what Farhan would say is, okay, well, we'll look at some of those. De- I know that they're aggressive. They're willing to pay guys, but, like Eric Hosmer hasn't really worked out for him. Manny Machado is good now, but at the tail end of his Albatross contract, might not be playing up to the money that he's making. And so the Padres are all in to win right now, and that's why I think that they would be so aggressive to go get Juan Soto. Meanwhile, if you're, if you're the Dodgers, you would you would absolutely love to have him. You'd have a murderer's row lineup adding one of the best young hitters in baseball, but you don't need him. And I think the other teams that were involved, the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, the Seattle Mariners, were the two other teams that were... Mariners may have to bow out now. And I think the Cardinals also made a trade as well, so they may be out of the picture. Yeah, and so... well, I just know that those were the four teams that were were, were rumored. And based on the last couple of years, how aggressive the Padres have been, I think that's his most likely destination. If you're the Giants, oh, he'd be in division. I'm not sure. On the surface... That's not something you're you're crazy about. But the the thing is, to the point you made about uh, AJ Preller, the GM in San Diego, 
He has not proven that he's good at putting a roster together. He's proven that he can find talent and he can go out and get a guy like Tatis. He's proven that he's very aggressive, but he hasn't proven that he can put a roster together, a roster that can handle the ups and downs of a 162-game season. So we'll see. On the surface, it'd be, oh, my goodness, as you said earlier, Tatis, Machado, Soto, if it comes to that, and I think if, if he goes anywhere, I'm with you. He's going to go there. But I'm not sure that the Padres, short-term, even long-term, are going to get the benefits that they hope to get out of that. We'll just have to see because they got other issues as well. They do, and and Juan Soto also, yeah, I, I think he wants to play in a big market. He wants to go to a place where he can compete for a long time, and so that that kind of leaves you only with a few places. Yeah. And San Diego isn't one of those places, right? So maybe he is not interested in playing in you know kind of a smaller border town market. I think they're you know top twenty in the country, but not yeah. top five. They're not New York. They're not L.A. And no matter how great their ballpark is or no matter how great it'd be to play with Tatis and Machado and all those guys, I think Juan Soto at this point is is probably best off just, you know, playing out the rest of his his contract and then he can ask for whatever dollar amount he wants. I mean, someone's gonna cut him that check. It's just a matter of which market. Now he some chooses. people uh, <clears throat> Some people would say, you know what, the Giants really can't worry about the Dodgers because the Dodgers are so far ahead of them right now. But to me, if I'm the Giants, Soto going to the Padres would be like, ah, that makes me nervous, but I think it might work out. Soto going to the Dodgers would be like, forget it, we're done, we have no chance. Right? You know what I mean? And I know we're kind of already there, but it would just be um, the last straw. Not Not just in terms of this year, but I mean... How in the world can we convince our fans that we can compete with these guys? They go out there and they get Soto, and we get Dixon freaking Machado. <laughs> that, that That's a reality that might come to fruition, and when that day hits, then it might be all bad because you're looking at an Iowa Cub <laughs> versus the reincarnation of one of the greatest outfielders. Yeah, like, we can't even get the good Machado. Exactly. <laughs> but And I don't know if I've ever agreed with Ray, but I, I think I might be with him here because that ship as, has sailed. As you said, you're not beating the Dodgers. You you're not competing with them for I mean, on paper for the next three to five seasons anyways. So if he goes there, it's just overkill and you're in the same spot you were before. The Padres, on the other hand, aren't necessarily built as much for the long term as the Dodgers are. So you would have to now leapfrog two better teams, two discernibly better teams in your own division. That, to me, makes it much more difficult if he's in San Diego. The Soto to the Pottery thing is going to come down to one thing. Assuming they care what he thinks at some point, hey, do you want to stay here? You know, If we trade all this for you, would we, we want to resign you? Would you want to play in San Diego? He would probably say, well, it would depend on how he feels about the, the mint caps. <laughs> the, uh, right? Have you seen those with the the mint? Because they have their version of the the City Connect they wear on Friday nights at home. They're mint green with pink SD on the front. So this is where I'm at with the uniforms. When the guys from the top come down, the equipment manager, whoever develops these jerseys, pitches them to the front office. I, I think they really just look at okay, what is this jersey going to look like with Fernando Tatis Jr. Hmm. They don't look at okay. What is Bob Melvin going to look like know, in I this know. uniform? I what, know what is what is Jorge Alfaro going to look like with a mint green mm -hmm. catcher's you know chest protector on? Because I thought I would like it when I first you know you you see the promos, you see Tatis Machado, it, it looks good, and then you you see it in application, you see it on Jake Cronenworth, you see it on you know guys coming out of the bullpen, some random, and you're like. Oh, that's that just looks kind of out of place, right? <laughs> like Bob Melvin, as, as surly as as he as he can be sometimes, he just he doesn't belong in what looks like a pina colada. Right. I I, I may have mentioned this uh, with you. I know I've mentioned it. Um, I was watching. They they debuted those uniforms when they were playing the the Giants a few weeks ago on TV. So I show my wife, hey, look at these uniforms, and she said, that's the worst thing I've ever seen. Uh, one of our daughters who used to live down there, went to school down there. She loves them so much. She actually just ordered one of the fitted hats. So it's a big, oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> big, you know, point of contention in our household between my wife and, and, and my daughter. It's like, oh my goodness, these are great. Those are the worst things uh, I've ever seen. The Giants uniforms with the fog and the, the, the orange caps and the fog. 
I think that was pretty much dictated by Nike. If I remember the story right, and I think, and I don't know if Nike does all the City Connect, and I know you're a Nike glove guy, so and I have Nike stock. I don't mean to besmirch uh, the good reputation of Nike, but my understanding is they have their designers like, here you go, here's the uniforms. I don't know that they had much, if any, input from from the teams. And uh, by the way, I've kind of gotten used to those giant uniforms too. I just don't like the G. I wish it actually said giant. Well, I guess that would make sense because I'm sure the Boston Red Sox it didn't want to be looking like the UCLA. Yeah, UCLA. Yeah. I was going to say the Chargers, whatever yeah, yeah. powder blue you want to put on. I also do think though that the City Connect uniforms for the Giants, they've grown on me a little bit. Yeah. And maybe it's just because I'm I'm used to it and I, you know, put whatever frustration I had with the color scheme and, and kind of the, the fade at the bottom that I had an issue with when they first came out away. But also the fact that, you know, it's just, it's in the rotation now. Now, yeah. personally, I really like the, the the orange tops, the orange alternates. Those are my favorite ones uh, for the Giants. White pants, orange tops, black caps. I think that's I think that's clean. Do you like the, uh, with the orange bill, black cap with the orange bill for Orange Friday? See, I, I think too many teams, and this is, a, this is an issue across sports, Whitey. I think too many teams have dived into the deep end on just one primary bright fluorescent color. And this is this is a problem I have. It started on Thursday night football a couple of years ago. These 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 color these color outs. Okay. What do they call that? They had a term for it. Uh so color rush or color rush. Yeah. The color rush schemes. You know, you got the Jacksonville Jaguars looking like Dijon mustard. Mm. The Buffalo Bills are wearing all red. The Jets are wearing all greens. There needs to be some some sort of compliment that the primary color to me cannot dominate everything. That's why I, that's why I don't care for the Dodgers City Connect uniforms either. Right. The blue pants are where I draw the line. Mm-hmm. I like the tops, I like the jerseys. The hats are okay, but once you go full blue top to bottom, it it, it just seems it seems amateurish mm-hmm. to me, I guess. Do you, Do you remember? remember when the 49ers had the black uniforms and they played the Rams on Thursday night football and they were yellow mustard? Do you remember that color rush combo? I remember the uh, the all black when uh, Kaepernick was a quarterback and they opened the season against the Vikings, I think. And they, well, I kind of liked the 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 all black 49er uniforms, but all, uh, yeah, all, all blacks are okay. But yeah. but then like the all white uniforms that the Cincinnati Bengals are going to be wearing this upcoming season. White for helmets, huh? You like yeah. those? Yeah, you're a fan. Yes, oh. there's such a thing as a white Bengal tiger. I think they're awesome. Aren't those Siberian tigers? Maybe. But either, but either way, okay. Either I, way, I see there are a lot saying. of tigers that are, you know, <laughs> indigenous to Cincinnati. Well, maybe they'll only wear them once this season. It's reflective of the the species or the the population size of the white Bengal yeah. tiger. Yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's just too much too much of one thing for me, I guess. Do you remember the problem that they had with the first color rush game? And you mentioned the teams, the Bills in all red, and then the Jets in all green. Remember why that was a problem? Because uh, they look like a Christmas tree. No, it was a problem because some people are red, green, colorblind. Oh, and they seriously, and they said <laughs> yeah, we can't, true. we can't tell one team from the other. Give us, yeah, give us something to work with. And the NFL's like, oh yeah, sorry about that. We didn't, we didn't realize that. Oh, that honestly was an issue. Oh, I believe it was, and and maybe that's why the six five zero and the Comcast business text line brings up the fact that. You know, some people wanted to cut up jerseys, just like Chris Sale did to the yeah. White Sox uniforms because he didn't want to wear them. That's what we might be seeing this year from some teams around baseball, around the NFL. They they might just say, no, enough is enough. You know, I'm not putting on this uniform or not wearing. like Because in baseball, typically, the starting pitcher will get to I was going to ask you about that because you were a starting pitcher, right? Yeah, I, well, I didn't or, have that much cachet. Yeah. I didn't really bring that much uh, gravitas along with me, so I didn't get to choose. It was we had our, our Fridays, our Saturdays, and then Sunday alternates. I was I was a Sunday guy. I was the the, the third starter at one point, so I got to wear the the, the cool alternate jerseys. I would have picked them anyways. But usually, starting pitcher at the big league level gets at least some influence on what he wants to wear. And whatever, yeah. So he picks for the team. This is the these are the jerseys we're wearing today. Yeah, and that's that's sometimes why you'll see, for example, like you know the Oakland Athletics wear Kelly Green uniforms for ten straight days because the starting pitchers just want to wear those uniforms because they they like how they play in them. But now you got so many marketing things going on that there are a lot of dates when the pitcher doesn't get that choice, which I think is what happened to Chris Sale. And we're gonna run. Then that's what I'm saying. We're gonna run into a roadblock at some point where some pitcher or manager or a cat. Some 
guy with enough you know, influence and sway in the locker room to be able to say, you know what, I'm not wearing these. You guys aren't wearing these. And uh, and Nike might have to eat that one. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite warrior uniform? I like the royal blues. I, I'm i a little more of a classic guy. I like the royal blues. I The black ones did kind of grow on me, though. Uh, I, I just kind of like, like the nuanced stuff. On be the- honest, you like the sleeved one, and you have one on over your Carmelo jersey underneath your jacket. Was that, the, <laughs> the the sleeve uniforms was were those the um they they had like it was like a Chinese New Year reference uh back back when they were playing at Oracle they had the I think they were the first team to have sleeved uniforms and it was a reference to the Chinese New Year yeah and I th- I thought those were okay but I do not like the sleeve I it looked like Anthony Davis or no, a college. If player. they were baggier, like a T-shirt, you would have really had something marketable because everyone wears T-shirts. But those really tight sleeved NBA jerseys, just no, it was a bad, bad idea. By the way, we have more in the dawning of the Dixon Machado era. Uh, Alex Pavlovich on Twitter in response to the news about Machado and the Giants. I've heard the same. Giants are hoping to get Machado to Oracle Park tonight. And, you know, we, we kid a little bit, but it's the reason why they have to do this. Obviously, sad Tyro Estrada appears headed for the concussion injured list. And they're going to need a shortstop. They just need a shortstop until Brandon Crawford is ready, hopefully later this week, according to Alex Pavlovich. So it appears, you know, trade deadline, what's going on? It looks like the Giants are going to be acquiring if they haven't already. Hasn't been announced, but Dixon Machado from the Iowa Cubs to play shortstop. So do you think they made him fly with his... Jersey on, or like his warm-up clothes, everything but cleats. So the moment he gets to the tarmac, lands an SFO, they drive him straight to the stadium, throws on the jersey, puts his cleats on. He already has his glove on his hand. He's got his cap on. They yes. just send him right out to shortstop. Yes, they do. Of course they do. Dixon. I don't know where the Cubs are, the Iowa Cubs are. They played right. in St. Paul, Minnesota last night. Oh, okay. Thank you. Against the, yeah. the St. Paul Saints, a, a former team I used to work for. Really? Yeah. You worked for a lot of teams. For for good and bad, yeah. No, no, no. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, no, St. Paul was fantastic. It was they were still independent at the time, but in 2018 they they were in the American Association. Last year was the first year they moved into affiliated ball with kind of the reorganization of, of minor league baseball. So they're now the the Twins AAA affiliate. But I uh, had the pleasure and privilege of working there for a summer. Hmm. Um, yeah, and fortunately for the for the Giants today, they have a, an evening game, Sunday night baseball, so they got a little more time to bring in a Dixon Machado. Uh, Chan on the text line here. Chan, who I believe is the one who <laughs> uh, coined the nickname Brazilian Bane for right. yeah for uh, for Guy Santos. Well done, Chan. He asked, "Did the Giants also acquire Ozzy Canseco?" That's not. That's not funny. I think they'd take Ozzy Canseco. pretty funny. I think they'd take Ozzy Canseco if he played shortstop. They probably would. Poor Ozzy. Can you imagine being a twin and your twin is like this magnificent athlete and you're just kind of like, eh, I don't, I don't, I don't no, not really happening. Well, at least Dixon has, an, he has a unique enough of a first name that even, like, I'm sure the Machado thing hasn't followed him around that much because his name is Dixon. So he's not Manny. He's, he's, Hopefully he can bring something other than a glove because the Giants also need some hits. They need a bat. Does he have any pop this year at AAA Iowa? Do you have the number up there? I thought you had the numbers earlier. I don't mean to put you on the spot. I know that he was with Detroit. I think he was a like a decent glove first shortstop prospect about seven years ago, and now he's playing AAA ball. Yeah, I mean he, he can play all around the infield. His calling card would be defense. He's got a career five seventy nine OPS at at the major league level. So. Anything above that is a plus for Farhan and the Giants. But the good thing is you're playing the Cubs. Right. So at least I know in a weird way he's kind of you know switching organizations and whatnot. He's going mm-hmm. well, he's going coming from Iowa, but going from the Cubs to the Giants. And maybe he'll get to see some of you know his old friends in the locker room on his way in. He'll say hello, take his way to the third base side, and see him out there on the field. It's the Dixon Machado revenge game. Yeah. You Cubs gave up on me. I'll show you how wrong you were. Well, especially as a as a as a ripe and and young 30-year-old Dixon Machado, he's got a lot to prove. How old is too old to wear your cap backwards? How old is too old to be considered a prospect? Cap backwards? I uh I'm 25 and younger, but but the issue is I think 25 and younger? So if I'm 26 and I'm wearing my cap backwards, I'm like eh. 
Well, I don't see you as a, as a prospect. No. Right, right, right. Okay, that's the prospect thing. But how about the wearing your cap backwards? Cap backwards, I think that just that's more of a player-by-player player basis. Like, how much swag do you have? I'm personally? not talking about players. I'm talking about just people. Oh, well, I think, but I think that also applies to people. So, okay, for example, right. if, if Guru walked in here with a backwards hat, I might look at him a little differently, but he'd be able to, I think he'd be able to pull it off. Whereas if, if Matt Steinmetz walked in here with his cap backwards, I, I feel okay. like he probably should have put that in the closet 25 years ago. To me, it's right around 40. There's some wiggle room depending on who you are and how you look, but to me, you get like around 50 wearing your hat backwards. No, that's just, to me, not a good look. Now, is that the same thing with wearing a jersey? If you're 40, 50 year old, do you wear Depends. a jersey? Really? If you're wearing a jersey, but it's like Sandy Koufax or something, it's like, okay, well, that was your boyhood hero. That's what but what about a current player's jersey? Yeah. Like, what if like know. Guru's wearing like a Dak jersey? <laughs> I don't think we have to worry about that. Well, what if Whitey Gleason's wearing a Dixon Machado jersey? Yeah, well, as soon as I can, I'm gonna I'm gonna take care of that too. So you may you may be looking at that <laughs> sooner rather than later. Coming up as promised in defense of Draymond, it's Whitey Gleason, Evan Giddings, Dixon Machado, hopefully as well on ninety five seven the game. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 